things it does. It determines the, the urgency of our prayer. It determines the frequency of our prayer. And it determines the content of our prayer, what we pray for. So as you look out at the circumstances that you are in, those circumstances will many times will dictate how and why and to what extent that you pray. Can I give you an example of this? Nehemiah, we, have, we are really familiar with Nehemiah going through uh, the book here in, uh, on Wednesday night. And remember what Nehemiah did when he heard the news of Jerusalem, when he heard the news of the city that, yes, he had never lived in, but it was still home. It was still his lineage. It was still the promised land of God for the Israel, Israelite people. When he heard of what, what had happened, where the city was and where, the, where, where it was, the Bible says that he mourned and he fasted and he prayed and he confessed sin. Watch this. For four months. Four months. This was a serious thing. Watch. The circumstances around Nehemiah dictated the urgency. It dictated the frequency. It dictated the content of what he prayed for. And what he was asking God for, he asked God specifically at the end of all of that, he asked God for mercy in the sight of King of, of King Artaxerxes. He wanted mercy. Why did he want mercy? Because he was about to ask a pretty big request. He was about to ask a request that could lose his head. He was the king cup, king's cupbearer. He couldn't he couldn't uh, behave in such a way that was uncomely of that of that position. And if it was, I mean, we know how that went. He could have lost his head. He could have been uh, taken up out of that position uh, permanently. You might say. And so. Uh, so circumstances we see many times determines our prayer life. You know what else determines our prayer is the outcome. The outcome. See, if the outcome is death like Nehemiah, boy, you're, gonna do, you're, you're taking on this prayer life a little different. He's fasting. He's mourning. He's confessing sin. He's taken four months. It's just he's broken. It's nonstop. He is preparing himself for this. If the outcome is death, well, I tell you what, we pray differently, don't we? If the outcome is dire, we pray differently. If the outcome is terminal, we pray differently. But what if the outcome is victory? What if you already know that the outcome is victory? If you are, wait, wait, how will you pray if you already know that you're going to win? How many like to win? We went to watch the grandkids play pickleball. That's what it was. Pickleball. Man, they're good, right? And uh, a couple of the kids, they're not our, our grandkids, some other kids, and the, uh, the, the dad said, well, what was your score? I don't know. Who won? I don't know. And, of course, uh, you know, the dad's telling his kid, get out there and win. You know, do whatever you have to do to win. And one of them's going, oh, just so you have fun. And, of course, no. Dads are like, no, get out and win, right? We want to win. It's still a good thing to win, right? It's okay to win. Hey, God wins. Can I tell you that? God wins. And I like winners, and God likes winners. And, uh, listen, if the outcome is victory, if the outcome is we win, I'm telling you, the prayer changes. It's a different kind of praying. You know, Paul is going to pray now for the church at Ephesus. He's praying for the church at Ephesus, not only the church at Ephesus. We know that this, this, uh, this letter went to all of the churches. And here, some 2,000 years later, we're reading it today. And can I tell you, it was inspired by God. It was preserved by God. And it is for us today just as much it was for the church at Ephesus and all of those churches that got this letter when it was in real time. Paul's going to pray for this church. It's a prayer for the family. 
It's a prayer for the family. Watch. It's a prayer from victory. Would you notice verse 14 of our text? For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice where Paul is starting this prayer. Now, now get the scene here. Remember, Paul is in a prison in Rome. Paul's in jail. And it's not like our jails, right? They don't get to get a law degree. Amen. They don't get the weight room so they can get to be monsters and come out and do more damage. They don't they don't get to, you know, TV. I remember the uh that great sheriff out in Maricopa County, Arizona, and uh he came out and uh, they began it was at, back in the early 90s. They were complaining about the TV channels, so he put them all on C-SPAN and they got to watch Newt Gingrich like 24 hours a day give speeches from the house floor. And uh yeah, that's the way that's the way it ought to be, man. And uh, they complained about not having a hot, enough hot meals. I remember that. And they had hot dogs for months and months. Here's your hot meal. And uh, he said, you're in prison. You're not at a hotel. You got here because you did wrong, right? And Paul is in a Roman prison. It's not nice. It's not pretty. It's not a great place to be. But he is just fit from prison now. He has just laid out a great truth that the prayer of, that the, I'm sorry, that the church of Jesus Christ wins, we win at the end of it all. Amen. We are all winners. And I'm telling you, that's a great place to start your prayer life from, that we win. You know, when you think about it in, this, in the realm of eternity and the scope of eternity, we are on this planet for such a short time. It is just a minutia. It is just a, an instant. It's a blip. It's less than a blip on the radar that we are on this planet. And the rest of our existence is spent somewhere eternally. Listen, we are not a soul. We're not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. And that body is going to be put in a grave someday. And our soul, who we are, our mind, our will, our emotions, everything of who we are will exist. We will exist as a person somewhere eternally, either with God or, uh, or not with God in hell, one or the other. And it's your choice today. It's your choice. But he's finished sending out this truth that we win, we are win, and we are going to win, we do win, we have won, we are in victory. And because of the certain victory, Paul did not want this church to lose heart in his tribulation. We saw that last week. He said, don't, don't worry about me, right? Pretty soon, right, I, my fight's over. Pretty soon I'm going to be at the Lord. Pretty soon it's going to be done. And you know, think about this, Paul has been in the presence of the Lord far longer than he was ever alive. You know, we're going to be dead longer than we were ever alive. <laughs> it's quite a thought, huh? Yeah. He said, don't lose heart in my tribulation. And because of the certain victory that Paul understood, that he knew, he's going to, he records this prayer. God saw fit that this prayer is recorded to the church here at Ephesus and all of those who are an appendage, who are a member of one of his churches. Look at verse 14 again, what he says, for this cause. Look at verse 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Don't worry about this. Right? Don't worry about my tribulation. So for this cause, right? because of this, I bow my knees. This is not a prayer for victory. This is a prayer from victory. It's a prayer to remind us that the victory already is already ours when it doesn't seem like it. It is a prayer that reminds us for the, that, that is a, it reminds us that, I'm sorry, it is a prayer that asks or understands the presence of God when the battles seem like we're losing. This is what this prayer is for this cause. I want you to notice something about the prayer of the Apostle Paul here. 
there are four requests that he makes in this prayer. And each one of these requests begin with the word that. That's how you can pick them out. There's four that's that go into this prayer. But notice how he addresses it first and foremost. He addresses it to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was Jesus himself when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray in this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? You know, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. It might seem strange, like, don't I get to pray to Jesus? Well, Jesus says we have direct access to the Father. And he, watch, because we are in Christ, we have the same authority and the same access to him that Jesus had. We pray to the Father through Jesus Christ. And Paul says that, he says here, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have this? Because we've been adopted. Amen. Because we are children of God. Amen. Because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It may be pretty cool to be joint heirs with some multi-bazillionaire on this planet. It might be cool to have the lawyer show up someday and say, I've got some paperwork I need you to sign. Your great uncle, Elon Musk left you everything. You're like, sweet, I've got rockets, I've got cars, I've got money. This is awesome. I own Twitter now. This is great. Hey, I mean, it'd be pretty cool, right? I think it'd be awesome. I'd fix the Tesla a little bit, but I think it'd be great. But you know who I'm joint heirs with? The one who spoke it all into existence and owns it all. Amen. Amen. He owns it all. We're joint heirs with him. Hey, no, I'm telling you, friend, this is a prayer from the place of victory, not of defeat. And because of the the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. Look what he goes on to say, the whole family in heaven and earth named. I am bowing my knees, right, unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, this is not a universalist prayer. Not everybody is, is, uh, the, is the child of God. I hear people say that. We are all children of God. No, we are all the creation of God, but only those that are brought into the family by Jesus Christ are a part of the family of God and that is it I'm sorry this is he is he is not showing that God is the father of everyone and secondly this is what this is showing is the family connection that is between those who are in Christ and God the father watch this is a prayer request within the family I'm the youngest my oldest sister at at times could have gone to my dad and petitioned our father and say, hey, Dad, can Derek come with us to the restaurant? Now, they never did this because my mouth never stopped and I never shut up and I was really annoying. Yeah. Usually, Dad would say, take your brother. He'd be like, oh, let's go. I'd be like, yeah, you know. I talked the whole time. It was awesome. And uh, just, I told stupid jokes even back then. And they would just sit there like, oh, my goodness. It was awesome. I loved it. But my sister could go petition my father, right? Say, hey, can they come? Can Derek come along? Right. What is she doing? She's praying to our father. She has a request of our dad, right? This is what Paul's doing here in the family. He's making a request for the family. 
He's making a request to our Heavenly Father. He's making this request not only to those at Ephesus, not only those to those early churches that he started. He's making a request to every believer in every church of Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years. This is for us. If Paul were here this morning, he would be praying this prayer for us. God has recorded this. Notice the four requests here. Here we go on. Look at verse 16. That he would grant you. That's a petition. He's asking God for something. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Do you know how many people go to prayer and never ask for a thing? Now, you know what happens. Sometimes we just ask for too much, right? Sometimes we just need to shut our mouth and just uh, worship a little bit and and pray and and, uh, commune and just listen and things like that, right? No, I mean, but prayer is asking by and large, right? We listen in the Word of God. We listen through the Word of God and we pray. We, we ask by prayer. Notice the four things. Look what he says, that he would grant you. So he's going to petition our Heavenly Father now for four things. God, I want four things from you for your church. Number one, look at this. That he would grant you according to the riches of of his glory. Boy, I tell you what. When you think of the glory of God, the, mag, the, the magnitude of our God, who owns it all. Let me say, how, how glorious do you have to be to own everything? That's pretty big. Paul is saying here that he would grant you according, according to the riches of his glory. Listen, there is no deficiency in God. There is nothing that God lacks. When you go to him for, in prayer, there is nothing that we could ever go to God in prayer going, this might be a big one. Boy, I don't know. Isn't that good? There's nothing that he lacks. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. This is the first one. Look at that word, that. That, that. He would, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You know that word might there comes from the word that we get the word dynamite, dunamis. It's power. It's not the word authority. That you, sometimes you'll see in the Bible the word power and it's me speaking of the word authority. This is speaking of just power, of explosive power, of mighty power, of power that you get a stick of dynamite and it blows rocks all over the place and it blows your car everywhere when you're tired of working on it. You've worked on it for months and you say, well, the only thing I know to do now is get a stick of dynamite and put under it and walk away, right? Uh, not that, you know, that's the kind of power that Paul is asking for for, the, for, for God's children here at his church that he would give him that might that power by his spirit watch this what is this power for for the inner man for the inner man what is the inner man it's that word eso I don't know if you get the word if that's the root of esoteric but it's the word eso it means what soul your soul you know what Paul is asking our father for us you know what our our older brother, Paul, you know what he's asking? He's a lot older right now. You know what he's asking for? He said, God, Father, Father, by, the, by all of the glory, by all of your might and power, by all of your riches, would you strengthen your people with the power? By your spirit, would you strengthen them in the inner man? Would you strengthen their soul you see our spirit is how we commune with god when we get saved our spirit's made alive right 
You who are dead hath he quickened. You hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. We have been made alive when we got soul. But our soul is the center of our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's who we are. It is our heart, you might say. It is, our, uh, it is, it is, is who we are as a person. And Paul is saying, uh, he is asking our Father that we would be strengthened in the inner man. That our mind, our will, and our emotions would be strengthened by the Spirit of God. Why? Why? Why would he want that strengthened? Why didn't he ask for physical strength? Well, Paul didn't have physical strength, did he? Are we? Anybody remember this guy, Paul? Remember that guy? Yeah. No, no strength. He was pretty weak. He said it's not not much to look at. He got beat up all the time. He was able to get up and go again. That's pretty incredible, right? Now he's in a Roman prison. No, he's not talking about physical strength. Because you can have physical strength and no inner strength. Yeah. I don't know, kind of sounds like Samson. Hmm. See, when the will is weak, when the mind is weak, when the, when the emotions are weak, listen, we're body, soul, spirit. It's all connected. And when our mind, our will, and our emotions, when our soul is weak, our relationship with God can suffer and become distant. I've given you this example. Have you ever been sick? I mean, sick like unto death and you're in a hospital and you say, hey, bring me my Bible. I'm telling you, friend, that I'm sorry, but it's one of the last things you want to do sometimes because you're so physically ill, right? It's all connected. I'm telling you, listen, when, when the soul gets down, when the mind and the will and the emotions, when those get discouraged and down, boy, I'm telling you, it gets rough. Paul says, hey, listen, we're praying from a place of victory. I, listen, we have won, but along the way there's going to be battles, there's going to be problems, there's going to be things that we're going to face, and it's going to be easy to get distant from God when we get down because of our circumstances. And Paul is asking our Father, Father, would you do this? Would you strengthen them in the inner man by your spirit? Would you encourage them? Would you lift them up? 2 Corinthians four fifteen through 16, the Apostle Paul said this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound unto the glory of God. Now listen to what he says, For which cause we faint not, but through our out, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That word renewed means strength and vigor. The inward man can be renewed day by day. It needs to be at times. It has to be. So he says his first request that Paul has is that our inward inner man would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God. This is what he's asking for. You know what else he's asking for? Verse 17, number 2, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. See that verse 17? That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. See, we know that at salvation we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Amen? Right? We are sealed unto the day of redemption, which means what? We are eternally secure in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the down payment. The Bible calls Him the earnest. And it's until the day of redemption, which is what? After we die, right? We have that king's seal and signet. The legal transaction has taken place that day that we put our faith and trust in Christ. We are secure in Him. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. But here, what Paul is asking for is that the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Not indwell, but dwell. I, I know those words can be one and the same at times. But there's a difference here. That word dwell means to settle. Settle. Right? It's, it's one thing to dwell in a house. It's one thing to indwell a house or to move in a house. It's another thing to settle in. I had a realtor tell me one time, it takes two years to settle into a house when you get a new house. A couple, two years, she'd say. Probably right. Maybe longer. It depends on if you're not living where you don't want to live. But there's a difference between dwelling in, indwelling, and there's a difference between indwelling, and there's a difference between dwelling to where we settled in. Watch, Paul is not asking for Jesus to move in. He has moved in by the Holy Spirit of God. He's asking him to settle in. What is this? It's relational. Are you listening? Paul is asking our Father that the Lord Jesus Christ would be able to settle into our lives. Now, we know it's no problem for the Lord Jesus. The problem's us. But in 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What are we talking about? Relationship. You know what Paul is asking our Father for us? He's asking us that though we, are, this is a prayer from victory, that though the battles are hard and though we seems like it's, we don't know if we can get through at times, he's saying, Lord, would, would you just have it so where the Lord Jesus will settle in by faith, that they would catch that relationship they have with you? Watch, we pray this for people at times, that God would be real to them. God, would you make yourself real? To that individual, whoever it is you're praying for, to dwell, to dwell, to dwell in. First Peter 3, 7, likewise, here's the same word here. Ye husbands, dwell with them. Settle in with them. How? According to knowledge, giving under honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Settling in. Watch, 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 watch. It's relational. It's relational. To dwell in your heart. Why in your heart? Right? Well, it's the center of all physical and spiritual life. What, what did we ask? What was Paul asking? Lord, I, here's what I want for my brothers and sisters. Here's what I want for, the ch- for your churches. I want Jesus to be the center of their life in every way. That's what I want. It's by faith. It's by faith. What does it mean? Well, we know God's going, to do, God's going to do this. It's his desire. What did Jesus say over in John? He said that you abide in me and my words, that you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? That you bring forth much fruit. He wants us to abide in him and he wants to abide in us. But this relationship, is, it says by faith. What does it mean? It's in our court. It's up to us whether Jesus is going to settle in in the center of our life and become everything to us. It's just like it's up to the husband to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. It's up to us to dwell with Christ by faith, to make him the center of it all. It's relational. 
So Paul asks here to strengthen the inner man. Number two, he asks Christ to dwell in the heart. Look at number three, though, verse 17. He spends the most time on this. I like this. Rooted and grounded in love. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. He goes on here about Christ dwelling in our hearts, that we be rooted and grounded, grounded in love. You know, rooted here, we put roots down in many ways in our life, don't we? You might move to a new location and begin to put down roots. Our family, my dad's side, moved here in 1938 and have been in southwest Missouri ever since then. My mother's side came here in the early 1830s into Missouri and and uh, have been here ever since. They moved here. They watched. They they got ground. They root got rooted here, and then they got grounded. Right. Grounding comes after rooting. Right. How many have ever planted a tree? How many had that tree die? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I had twenty-five trees die before I ever got them out of the package. That was a that was a loser. <laughs> They were cheap. I'm going to try it again. What happens when you plant a tree? Watch. You'll plant that tree. You'll dig that hole. You'll put that in there. You'll get the roots all out of that ball maybe and get them all loosened up however you're supposed to do it. You get that that leader root, whatever that's called down there, and you'll get it down so it gets all in. You pack the dirt in. And what you may do, watch, it's rooted, right? And then you're going to ground it. You'll tie some strings to it and put some stakes in different places. Because why? Sometimes that tree can fall over easy because that dirt's fresh and the roots aren't grounded in yet. Right? And as time goes on, as the roots begin to grow, all of a sudden it gets grounded and you can pull those strings off and pull the stakes out of the ground and it's good to go. Watch. Our rooting and grounding in Christ is in love. Love stabilizes a child. My mother used to say the best thing you could ever do for your children is love your wife. It's good advice. Love stabilizes a child. Love stabilizes a marriage. Love stabilizes a church family. Love stabilizes our relationship with God. We are rooted and grounded and loved. Some of the greatest struggles that you have in your life and some of the greatest struggles that I will have in my love, in my life, is, are, is, is a struggle in our understanding and our belief that God really loves us. Friend, there's some of the greatest struggles you have. Some of your problems would be fixed if you would just nail it down that God loves you. Some of your problems could be fixed if you just nail it down. Listen to me, that God is absolutely crazy about you. You don't think so? Look at Calvary. You don't think so? Just read this missionary book. God is a missionary. 
He set his eyes upon us and came after us. He has been coming after us from before the foundations of the world. It was seen that he would, that Jesus Christ would be slain from the foundations of the world. Why? Because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in should not perish that, but have everlasting life. He died for you. He pursued you. He cleaned you up so he could be close to you. He robed you in the righteousness of Christ so he could dwell with you. He has indwelt you by his Holy Spirit and that you can never lose so he could always be with you. He's preparing a place for you, Jesus. Said, that He said that where I am there, ye may be also. I'm telling you, it's one of the most greatest strengths you can have in your life when you have somebody in your life that you know they want you by them. They want you close. They want you right there. I'm telling you, our God, the God of heaven, wants you with him. He loves you. Are you completely convinced of that? This is what Paul is asking. Father, Father, would you help my siblings that they'd be rooted and grounded in love? It's what we want, isn't it? 1050 A.D., Rabbi Hertz, he didn't start a car rental company, but that's his name. There was a Rabbi Hertz, he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem about the love of God, and that same poem was found scrawled on a wall in an insane asylum. As they were cleaning out this insane asylum, the guy who lived in this room for years had passed away. They, they removed him. They were cleaning up the room and, uh, for another occupant. And as they were cleaning the room up, they found scribbled on the wall this same poem that was written by this rabbi back in 1050 A.D. <clears throat> the early 1900s, there was a man by the name of Frederick Lehman. He was not in an, in an insane asylum but Mr. Lehman was going through his own troubles in life. He lived in Pasadena, California. He, was, he had lost a business. He was doing so poorly. Him and his daughter worked in the lemon groves and the orange groves, just packing up oranges and lemons, trying to make a living. And he had written a song. And somebody had shared with him the poem that was written on the wall of this insane asylum. You know what it is. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong. You know that hymn. Mr. Lehman wrote that and he included this, this third stanza from what was scrawled on the wall of that insane asylum that was written by that rabbi uh, over a thousand years earlier. The love of God. See what Paul says about it in verse 18? The love of God, it's almost incomprehensible. No, God wants us to comprehend it. He does. But he understands there's only so much we can. Look at verse 18. Maybe being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. The love of God. It's almost incomprehensible. But God wants us to comprehend as much as we can. Look what he says here. Breadth, length, depth, height. Is that four dimensions? Jim likes that. His brain's going now. 
What is he picturing here? I think the only thing that we could picture is an iceberg. You have the, what's above the water, which uh, you, have, you have the length and the breadth and the, the breadth and the height of that iceberg that is above water. And we can see it and it's incredible. But what we don't see below the water, below that water line, is the depth of that iceberg, which we can't see unless we got under, underwater to discover that. And I'm telling you what, you know what you find out? Of all that we know of the love of God, of all that we can see of the love of God, of all that has been revealed of the love of God, of all that we can see of Calvary, of all that we have experienced in our own life, if we would get under the surface, we would never come to the bottom of it. The depths are fathomless of the love of God. We will spend the rest of our eternal existence discovering the love of God because God is love and God is eternal and listen, listen to me this morning, please don't miss this. No matter how bad the, and how hard the battle rages, you will, never, you will never exhaust the love of God that he has for you. You better praise him for that. Yeah. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ? It's incredible, isn't it? Have you ever just stopped and did a survey of your life? Every mistake, every sin, every vile thought, every wicked action, everything in secret you'd never want out. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, it's a, it's a wondrous thought that, that Christ would, would, would die for us, right? It's a wondrous thought. But it's even more incredible thought that he would die for us knowing exactly what he got. You need to know this. That God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much He doesn't let you stay in your sin. He loves you so much He doesn't let you wallow. He loves you so much He doesn't let you continue. Right? It's the chastening of God that is the love of God. Thank Him for that. To know the love of Christ. The three things, look at Paul is asking to be, to be strengthened, strengthen the inner man, that Christ would dwell in the heart, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. And fourthly, and I'm done, sort of. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That word filled there means to the top. I'm going to check out somebody's age now. Filled to the rim with, ah, brim. How many know that? Remember that commercial? I had to look it up because it was going through my head. Filled to the rim with brim. What was, yeah, it was coffee. Yeah, it was awful. Right up there was Sanka. <laughs> Does anybody remember Sanka? That was awful too, wasn't it? Now you've quenched the spirit, brother. Filled, it means all the way to the top. 
filled with the fullness of God. That word fullness there, this is a wonderful word actually, it is the word that you would use in when you talk about a ship, when it's in, in as much as it's filled, that it's manned with its cargo, with the sailors, with the rowers, with the soldiers, that that, that ship is filled with everything necessary to have a successful voyage. Paul says, I want you filled with the fullness of God. He's asking our Father to lade us with everything necessary to have a successful voyage. You have a pretty good older brother. Anybody have an older brother that wasn't this nice as the Apostle Paul? Mine wasn't. He punched me and all sorts of things. I'm teasing. If he ever watches this online, I'm joking, I'm kidding. You're my favorite. He's still a lot bigger than me. Strengthen the inner man. Christ dwelling in the heart, rooted and grounded in love, filled with the fullness of God. Could it get any better? It's kind of neat how he tops it off, actually. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. You know what God said? My ways are higher than your ways. He says, my, my thoughts are, 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 my ways are past finding out. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says, the secret things belong unto God, but the things that he has revealed have belong unto us and to, and to our children. There, listen, there are things that we cannot know about an eternal God. But notice how Paul concludes this prayer. No matter what you know about God, remember this, God can do more. I like that. Amen. You believe that? Have you ever seen God do more in your life than you thought was that earthly possible? Have you ever gone back and said, forgive me, Lord? I didn't think you'd do this much. Huh. Yeah. Notice what he says here. Exceeding, abundantly, above all. Wow, that's a lot. We ask or think. Exceedingly is the word, we get the word hyper from. Beyond. Abundantly. Extraordinarily. Above all, right, beyond all, we ask or think. Listen to me. Whatever you can ask or think, God is able to do beyond, beyond, beyond all extraordinary. Beyond, beyond all extraordinary. Let me get that right. He can do abundantly more. I could spend so much time today on he that is able, that God is able. We'll look at that maybe at another time. But let me tell you this morning, listen to me. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the battles are you're going through this morning. I don't care where God has brought you. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your future may be. Listen, God can do more if you're in Christ today. He can do more. From a Roman prison, Paul wrote this letter. From a Roman prison, Paul knew he was a complete victor. From a Roman prison, he knew he was on his way to heaven. But as we travel a war-torn road in our day, here's what we're assured of this. Let me show you these four things we're assured of. In these four requests of Paul, we're assured of the power of God. We're assured of the presence of God. We are assured of the love of God. We're assured of the provisions of God. You know what I think, friend, this morning? I think our ship is well laid for the, ver- for, for the journey. It's well filled up for the journey that God has for us. And then with all of that that he has, it says on the sail, God can do more. 
God can do more. You have all that you need, and He's able to do more. You know where it's found? It's all relational. It's found in Him. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is wonderful because your current condition has no, has no bearing on this relationship with Christ. You weary this morning? You tired? Not just physically tired. Sometimes the spiritual brings about physical weariness, doesn't it? Are you tired this morning? Can I remind you this morning, God can do abundantly more than you ask or think. We have everything we need. We have everything we need. All we need to do is stay close to Him. Stay close to Him. I'm thankful for this prayer that Paul has prayed. It applies to us today. It certainly does. What do you need today? What do you need? You know, God's already provided it. (laughs) He already has it for you. Sometimes you just need to go ask Him. You just need to ask. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this. There's just nothing like it when somebody says, I get texts every once in a while, quite a, wonderfully pretty often. And there's one, one man in, in specifically that sends me text messages Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Sundays. He was a, an old pastor we had years, probably 30-some years ago. And he'll say, praying for you, Brother Derek. Preach the word, brother. Praying for you. Preach the word. Yeah. It's a wonderful thought. Amen. Yeah. Paul was praying for us. Hold on. You want to, see, want to show you something better? Our great high priest makes intercession for us. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's doing right now? Listen, he's praying for you. What a thought. Jesus is praying for you. Remember he told Peter, Peter, I prayed for you that thy faith fail not. But when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And what he's doing, he's praying for him. Right. Thankful for the prayer. Whatever you need, listen to me. God can do more. God can do more. Our Father, thank you for the reminder this morning. You know where every heart is. You know where every life is. You know what people are going through. You know everything about them. We thank you for this reminder this morning that you are able. You have equipped us. You have filled our ship with everything that we need for a successful journey. And even greater than that, this battle that we're in, this trail of life, is already in a place of victory. We have won. We have won. So for the journey, I pray you'd help us to stay close to you. That we'd stay in that close relationship with the great assurance that you love us, that great assurance that you can do more. Would you encourage us today in this? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would, please. The instrument is going to play. However the Lord has spoke to you, would you take this time, maybe right at your chair where you're at or however... You spend some time with the Lord. Maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord this morning and just thanking Him for what He's provided for you. Maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord this morning asking Him. Maybe you have a need this morning. Where else can we go? Peter said, Thou hast the words of life. Hey, where else are you going to go? 
with your needs, but to the Creator who is your Heavenly Father. Would you go to Him today? Whatever your need is, He is able to do more. We're going to be closed in a word of prayer here. Brother Neil, if uh, you and if you need to find a helper uh, on your way out, if you're a mother here today and you're with us, uh, there is a, a baggie and a plant thing. Yeah. It's not herbs. I don't know. I think it's just flowers, right? What is it? Some herbs, some flowers. Some herbs and some flowers. We are 